My wife and I, we really felt called to step out and do a ministry. We call it Engage Reality. It's a college-age ministry. We meet Wednesdays, 7 o'clock in the fellowship hall. We couldn't do worship because my, my wife had a... I, I don't want it to know that it was a big operation, but a smaller operation. But she, uh, she was under the weather, so she's here. She's recovering. We thank you, church, for your prayers. Thank you for your willingness to, to bring the meals and just service in this capacity. We, we really are blessed by that and, and very, very thankful. Can I get that PowerPoint up, though? Before I get too into detail, I just, again, about this engage reality, I want to make sure that, that we're inviting everybody there. This, this is, we call this, uh, like I said, it's a college-age young adult. And if you're out there and, and you're 18 to 25-ish, and I put a heavy emphasis on ish, we want you guys to come join us. We want you guys to come fellowship with us. We're, we're praying for each other. We're, we're a smaller group, but we're solid, and we're wanting to grow and, and just be exactly who God wants us to be. So I just want you guys to know you're invited. If that's a situation that arises and you can get out there, please join us. 7 o'clock Wednesdays. Also, I wanted to give a quick shout out for the men's retreat. I know men, you guys have... Well, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about this. But I just wanted to share just my take on it. I haven't been able to, to necessarily pitch that yet. But I want to know that this is, this is an experience for me that has been very impactful in my life. And if you guys are kind of on the fence and you're kind of thinking, Well, should I go? Should I not go? What's it going to be about? I want you to know that the one consistent has been God shows up. God really has spoken through the times that we've been there. And I know when you look at your life and you look at your Christian walk, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ, until the day Jesus Christ returns. Whether that's the end of our days, whether it's His coming, God's going to perform and work this, this faith in you. When I look back at my Christian walk and I look back at these last two years, this has been a, a landmark. This has been a real catalyst, a real milestone for me as far as what God has wanted to do in and through me, how He has spoken to me, just from the simple act of seeking Him. So I just challenge you guys, if that's something you're on the fence, you're going to set aside a, a simple weekend for the Lord and, and you will be blessed by it. You will not regret it. Today we're going to look at the letter to the, the Philippians. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. This is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I love the, the power. I love what Paul shows us through his passion, through his zeal. And I, I love most of all, is this where I just want to be grounded? This is what I want my life to be about. The title of this message is going to be called Pressing On Towards the Gain in Christ. We're going to take a good look at that and what that means. I just feel whatever we're doing, we want to make sure that Christ is the end goal. Christ is who we're moving closer towards. Christ is is who we're trying to be more like, trying to gain more knowledge of. So we're going to be in, in Philippians 3 this morning. Let's just open up in prayer. Father God, Lord, I just thank you so much for this amazing opportunity to just, just speak in front of your people, God. And I just pray that you would fill this place afresh and anew, God, with your mighty Holy Spirit. Just every crack and crevice of this place, every, every inch of this building that your presence would just fill. And Lord, and I pray for all the hearts that are here, Lord God. We're here to hear from you. I don't want to hear from me, Lord God. So season my words with your Spirit. Season them with power. God, and give me diligence to communicate everything that you've been communicating on, on my heart through this study. And Lord, just lift this up in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to bring this up. I want you guys to look at this screen here. I, one thing I love to do when we're, we're doing Engage Out or even when we're studying it all is I want to remind everybody that this is a letter to a real church in a real city called Philippi. And as we look at this map, you can kind of see this is modern-day Europe as, it's, as it surrounds the Mediterranean Sea there. And you're looking at the lower right, you see Jerusalem and, you know, what, modern-day modern Israel. And as you cru- cruise up, you know, the, the north part of the map, you're seeing the different cities that Paul visited on his, his missionary journeys. And you see in the little, 
expanded view up there. You see the city of Philippi there, and it's next to Berea. We remember Berea. We all want to be Bereans. Remember in Acts 17, it talks about the Bereans were fair-minded. They were reasonable people, and they sought out the scriptures diligently to make sure that, you know, when you're hearing someone teach, whether it's, you know, be myself, Jackie, Bob, whoever's teaching, we want to know what the scripture says. And that's what I just want to invite you guys. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one in front of the chairs. If you can, open that up. Follow along with us this morning. Be, be students of the word. Be Bereans. But that little place up there is we're going to be talking about is Philippi. And over to the far left, kind of upper left corner is, is Rome. This book to the Philippians, this letter to the Philippians is known as is one of Paul's prison epistles. He had four prison epistles. What that means is he, he wrote this letter to the Philippians while he was a prisoner in Rome. So there's Paul over it. He's in Rome and he's, he's shackled to a Roman soldier. And catch us for a second because this is, this, as we starting and why this is so... Why this is, I'm so favoritism towards why I love this scripture so much is it just gives a picture of Paul as a servant of God. He's shackled to a, to a Roman soldier, not just any Roman soldier. This, this was a member of the imperial guard. And this soldier was, his sole job was to protect the emperor of Rome, protect Caesar. And for all of us in the workforce, we know that, well, why is he shackled to, to Paul? We know that's the other duties as assigned. You know, you never know what you're going to sign in when you go in there job description wise. But he's, these guys are in shifts and they're shackled to Paul. And I love Paul's heart about it because he thought, well, this guy's not getting away. He thinks I'm shackled to him. No, he's shackled to me. He's going to hear about the living God. He's going to hear about the gospel. Paul truly lived his life where in and out of season, whether in plenty, whether in chains, he was going to testify the glory of God. And, he, and a, lot of these, a lot of these imperial guards, a lot of these soldiers got saved as a result of just being shackled with Paul. But as we go through it, we think, why start chapter 3? And, and honestly, I knew it was going to be Gideon's morning, so... I didn't have time to teach all through chapter 1 and chapter 2, so we're jumping over to chapter 3, and we're going to be breaking in that. But I do want to go over just a little bit of background on what's going on in the church of Philippi. You know, we, see, we see Paul's in chains, verse 13, it will say that Paul's in, Paul's in chains, he's a prisoner of Rome. But if you, if you read through some of his other epistles, Paul was never a prisoner of Rome. Not, not figuratively, anyway, maybe literally, but he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was a bondservant of Christ. His, his mission, his pursuit, his calling led him to this place where he was a prisoner. But Paul didn't view it that way. Paul viewed it that in any situation, whether I've got plenty or I've, I'm in want, I'm going to praise God, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to be in contentment that he has. And again, just a great heart. I know that for us guys, there's a lot of times we look at our, you know, our jobs or our ministries or, or our coworkers or just wherever we're at, family relationships, whatever it is, that maybe we feel that this isn't the ideal situation that maybe we thought we ought to be in. But God is bigger than that. God has you right where He wants you. And there's never a time in our lives where our calling, our diligence, our pursuit shouldn't reflect the glory and graciousness of our Lord Jesus. So just you know, think about that. As Paul really, he just depicts that. He really represents that in his life. As we're moving on, I think, uh, remember that this, this, uh, this chapter, this, this letter was inspired by the Spirit and penned by the hand of Paul. We're going we're gonna to really look at what, what is the Word of God? What does it really entail? What is, it, what is its use? What is its purpose? Again, I'm gracious that the Gideons were able to speak here today because I don't want to make mistakes. It's Jesus who saves. But it's the Bible that teaches us about our Savior. It's the Bible who corrects us and, and keeps us grounded in that truth. It enables us to know about this Jesus who saves. So it's just important to have, have a copy of God's Word here. The first two chapters of Philippians, they're, they're just blanketed with thankfulness and with prayer and just with rejoicing as Paul's going through this time, even in the midst of his circumstances. And as we get ready to read, read in chapter 3, I just want to go, there will be some of our verses 
that we're going to kind of go through. So just follow along. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy. We'll be back in there quite a bit. But let's just dig into the Word. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which comes from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. So we'll back up and kind of start from the beginning here in verse, in verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts there giving us a command to rejoice. And as we're looking at this, who better is more authentic and more able to give us a command to rejoice than Paul? And we know all that he endured for the faith. We know all that he was beaten, he was scourged, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he's been imprisoned multiple times, and now he's a prisoner in Rome awaiting his appeal to Caesar. Yet he says, in all circumstances, rejoice. And I look at that and I kind of say, why? Why, why? why can we rejoice in this? And I think that there's unchanging truth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we can rejoice. When we look at situations that may seem like they're spiraling out of control or we see different things that are happening in our lives that maybe we don't know why, we can rejoice because we believe that He is. That God is a rewarder for those who diligently seek Him. That He is in control. He's the blessed controller of all things. That He loves us and He's got a future for us and hope. And regardless of what that looks like, that never changes. Whether it's in this life or it's in the life to come, in our eternity, God is going to give us everything we've ever desired in His presence. And that's why we can rejoice, whatever that situation is. Paul says, it's not tedious for you, but it is safe. And he's already told them in, in, the, in the early part of this letter that, that they need to be rejoicing. And he's saying, this isn't a burden for me to tell you this. I'll tell you this every chapter, every verse that I need to, because it's not tedious. It's for your spiritual growth. It's for, you, for your safety. And now I look at that as, that's what... That's what the, the church is all about. I think all the different encouraging and exhortations, you know, you people have just been to me and just said different things at different times. That that's what it's all about. Just, hey, are you rejoicing today? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you resting in the peace of His salvation? Because He wants you to. So He says rejoice, a command. Then He goes on in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And this is an interesting verse for us, and one that I really had spent a lot of time thinking on as far as what the, what the Spirit wanted me to say with regards to this, because in the church of Philippi, in the early church, in a lot of the different epistles we read, in a lot of the different spots of the New Testament from Acts and Romans, and, and we always see that there's, there's these dogs, there's these evil workers, there's this mutilation. What Paul's speaking of is, in, in this term, the dog, it's, it's re, referring to people with manipulative or crafty motives. When you think back at, at, at this time that this letter was written in Philippi, and even in some of the, these countries today, these dogs are just, they're strays. They're not like our family pet who's sitting nicely by our, the feet of our bed or you're doing different things. It's domesticated. 
these dogs have no master. They're just running around. They're, they're rodents. They're vermins. They're, they're an annoyance. But they're always snapping and barking at things. And when Paul's speaking here, he says, Beware the dogs that enter this church, that enter the church, that will come in through false doctrine, through deceptive means, through, through just untruth. And they're just barking and nipping and snapping at us, trying to cause division and cause dissension. And he says, Beware of those. Beware of those. Caution against those. It says, Evil workers... And he's speaking of the evil workers, and he's specifically here in Philippi talking about the Judaizers. And these Judaizers are coming against the church of Philippi, and they're trying to, as Paul says, pervert the gospel of Christ. And what he means by that is the gospel of Christ is pure. It's pure in its form. It's pure to save. It's pure to redeem. It's, it's pure to put us in that exact position relationship we're called to be with in Christ Jesus. But when these Judaizers would come, they'd say, well, it's faith and. It's Jesus and. And they would say, well, you still need to follow the law of Moses. The mutilation refers to circumcision. You still need to be circumcised. You're, you're not able to be really set free in Christ. But again, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. It is pure. The gospel, the work is finished. That's what we can rest in. But these Judaizers, these evil workers come in. And what I really wanted to talk about this morning in regards to this is there's been false teachers since the beginning of the, uh, the, beginning of the church. There's been false teachers that have come up against... Our church has been false teachers that have come up just through the world. We live in a world that is just full of isms, full of half-truths, full of just falsifying things that, that we just got to watch out for, we want to be aware of. And I was looking at this first verse, 2 Timothy 4.3. Flip a few books over to the right. This is a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, wrote this letter as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their hearts away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. This is what I'm talking about. Is there's, been, there's been false doctrine that has come up. There's been different things that come and they want to lead us astray. Different things that we want to either add to or take away. Half truths of what the scripture says. And I was really challenged by this because I really feel that when this time comes, we do not recognize the false by knowing the false. We recognize the false because we know the truth, because we're grounded in this. When you, when you study through the, the New Testament and you look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself is tempted. After 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, he's hungry, he's in a very vulnerable state. And he's tempted by half-truths from the enemy. Satan tempts him with half-truths. And he doesn't come at him and say, oh, Satan, I know you're always doing half-truths because I read this book on you and I know this, this, and the other. He says, no, that's not what the Scripture says. And I can recognize it because I know what the Scripture says because the Scripture's on my heart. And so when I say it's not about studying the false doctrine to remain in the truth, it's about studying sound doctrine to remain grounded in, in, in your word and your knowledge and the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. And I read this, so there's a couple more verses still in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse, uh, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I look at that and I said, there's not another document, there's not another piece of literature, there's not another book that has that stamp of approval. That's what we have as we look at that, as we say, it's, it's given by God, it's the breath of God. It's profitable for doctrine. Here's our doctrine. 
Titus, one more, one more book over. My, mine's just one more page. Fritz taught on this last week and, and did an excellent job. And I love this verse 9. It says, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Holding fast to the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. And as Paul's telling them in, in Philippians as he's going through this book, he's wanting that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We've got to stay, remain, beware of these things that are going to come up against you. We know that this is going to come. We know as the time gets closer, these come up. And I just, we are not going to be, we're not just all of a sudden found faithful unless we've been practicing faithfulness. We need to have this word on our heart. I feel, I don't remember who I could give credit to, to be able to, to you know, acknowledge who, who gave me this, this quote or this verse, but the Holy Spirit has never brought to my remembrance a verse I've never read. And what I mean by that is when you're in that situation, when you're in a conversation, when someone's coming at you with false doctrine, or someone's coming at you to try and stumble, it's those moments, and Christians, I know you guys have experienced that. That verse comes out of nowhere. That verse, it's exactly what you need from the, you know, a lot of times it seems like whatever I'm reading that week, that's what I need that week. I know we talk about that a lot that, man, here's another guy pounding it down, read your word, read your word, read your word. I'm not trying to say anything out of a duty standpoint. I'm saying, be equipped, be equipped, be ready. We live in a time where our faith is going to be under attack. And it's the word of God that wants to speak that truth to us at the exact moment. And again, there's never been a time when I've needed it that the Holy Spirit has not brought a verse that I haven't read. It means I want to be in the Word. I want to be studying. I want to be using that sword of the Spirit. Back in Philippians, as, as Paul's continuing down here, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul's going to go into one of the best discourses between religion and faith, between following the Old Testament law and living in faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to make the claim that if there was ever the possibility of gaining righteousness through our actions, through our works, through the law, then he would have been able to gain it. And he's going to say it profits him nothing. As he goes in verse, verse 3, he kind of says, talking about that circumcision, he's speaking about the circumcision is circumcision of the heart. I want you guys to remember what circumcision was. You know, it was part of the Abrahamic covenant. It was a, you know, the physical removing of one you know, piece of flesh to be able to be adhering to the God, to be identified as those are God's people. What he says now in, in Romans 2.29 is he says, circumcision is of the heart. It's still in a sense removing a piece of the flesh, but it's, it's more de- denying the flesh. We're no longer, we were once born in the flesh. We still dwell in this body of flesh, but we're made new in Christ. We're raised up in Him. We're, we're a new creation. We, we now walk by the Spirit, denying the things of the flesh. At least that's our hope. That's our goal. As Paul goes on, 4 through 6 here, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And I look at this as here's a man who, according to the law, is blameless. I mean, by his own admission. And he's saying, if we could ever be saved by our own works, if our efforts ever did play a role in our salvation, if keeping the law was going to be necessary for us to to come into this position in relationship with Christ, then Paul's saying, I would have done it. 
And he makes this monumental statement in, chapter, in verse 7 to say, But what things were gained to me, I've counted as loss for Christ. And so as we just picture this, is, is Paul's living this life. I think of all the effort, all the striving, all the work that he's, he's trying to put forth to live this life. He realizes that I'm going the wrong way. My gain isn't going to be Christ. We remember in Acts, we remember Paul, he's on his road to Damascus, he's breathing out murderous intents to the church, he's, he's just recently sat there and approved the stoning of Stephen, he's on his way to go watch Christians be martyred, Christians be put in prison, and as he's on his way, the Lord meets him there, and this bright light just knocks him to the ground, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I love his response, I just picture Paul saying, and he does, he says, who are you, Lord? Is that the Lord? I mean, and almost, I almost think, how can this be the Lord? Like, I'm working for the Lord. I'm doing everything that I should be doing for God. And he's faced with this fullness of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And he says in, in, in verse 7, But all things that were to gain to me, everything that I was working towards, I count as lost because Christ wasn't going to be at the end of that pursuit. I was missing the mark. I was going the exact wrong way. And guys, in faith, in, in, our, in our Christianity, in this time, that's the hardest thing we ever have to come to. Is what we're doing on our own really going to profit us Christ? Or is it going to lead us astray? If the best efforts I could ever put forth, is it going to be enough? Is it going to bring me to Christ? I think we look at this and we see that that answer is no. It's not going to be in a work that we do in ourselves. It's not going to be a religiosity that we bring. But it really brings us to a crossroads. In verse 7 it says, we, can't, we read that, it says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, being found in Him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. I want to look at this, and I, I, I said I feel that we're in this crossroads, and we're, we're realizing that the best we could ever put forth is going to be filthy rags for the Lord. We're realizing that the best I could ever bring to him is not going to be enough. And that, again, that's a real humbling thing. As a man, I think, I can't do it. That was, that's a hard thing to, to come over that hurdle and say, I can't do it. It's not something that's going to be in the capacity of my own strength to be able to earn my salvation. And I just feel that we live in a world that is predicated on, on what can I do for you? What can I do for you, God? How can I feel better about the faith and the grace in which you've given me? And God works the exact opposite. He says, I don't want you to work towards me. I want you, will you just believe what I did for you? Will you see what I did for you? Will you believe that I died on the cross for you? Will you believe that it was enough? We believe that it's not a righteousness of your own, but it's a righteousness on mine. My action or inaction is not going to take away or add anything to the righteousness which I bestowed on you in Christ. Jesus, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had lived our sinful life so we could live in all eternity, so God could treat us for all of eternity as if we had lived Jesus' perfect life. What does it have to do with us then? How can we change it? How can we take it away? How can we work towards it? How can we position ourselves better? And Paul's just, again, he's faced with the fullness of this when he, when he sees that. Look at the different things that he's able to say. If he could do it by the flesh, a lot of these things we can't even really, most of us can't even attain for. Because they're by birth. We can't be, you know, I wasn't, I'm not a tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Gentile. We got a shot now, it's called the vitamin K shot, so I 
didn't get circumcised on the eighth day. It probably happened much sooner than that. I wasn't a Pharisee. I've never even strived to be a Pharisee. But some of these things, if there was ever to be a self-righteous action, Paul's saying, this was it, and it profited me nothing. So as, as he moves on in, in chapter 7 to 11 here, he's, just, he's faced with just this amazing ability to say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want this to look like in my life? The flesh can do nothing. Paul's making a distinction here between religion and faith. And I know it doesn't say religion here, but we're certainly seeing the practices of a religious person. And when we're looking in religion, it's, it's found five times in the entire Bible, the word religion. I'm not using the word religious or religiously or, or anything of that capacity. But five times in the whole Bible. And I'm using the New King James to search. Maybe other translations have more. But it's defined by the Greek word thrice This means an external ceremonial observance. Religious worship, religious discipline. Trying to work ourselves. It can be religion is based on our efforts. It's based on the works we perform in hope that they will be enough to please God. But it will always beckon the question, what is enough? Will it ever be enough? And Paul makes the statement that the most self-righteous strivers could never make. And one in which it's not going to be able to attain Christ anyway. And I think in contrast, faith is admitting that my efforts, my works could never be enough. It's not through my work that I'm going to please God. It's by faith. And I, I've been talking about this to, you know, to our group on Wednesdays. Is Hebrews 11.6, it's, it's certainly one to memorize. But it says, For it is impossible to please God without faith. Because he who comes to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's just what we need to believe, that God is. It's by faith. When you come to him in faith, you're putting your faith in him. The word faith not including faithful or faithfully, is found 247 times in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. In the Greek word, there's a few different variations, but in verse 9, Paul uses the word paistos. And it comes from the root word pytho, which means to convince, to rely on, to agree, to, to assure, to believe, to have confidence in, to be persuaded, to trust, to yield to. And I, I really like this because when you look at these both religion and faith, there's a couple of scriptures you could point out. A great picture, I think, of what describes religion is Matthew 23, 27. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Jesus speaking. Hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones. And I just think that's what religion is and that's what we don't want to be. We don't want to be all perfected and looking like we've got it all together on the inside. It's okay to be real. God judges the things of the heart. He knows your heart anyway. But I, I think when we look at Paul and he says these things and he's saying he's blameless on the outside, we know that he's dead man's bones on the inside before Christ. We can see that. He's just breathing out murderous threats. What about, uh, you know, what about our Ten Commandments here? Like, what's going on? You know, thou shalt not murder. I mean, Paul's definitely got a murderous heart. He's certainly dark on the inside. And he's, going to, he's admitting that to us. Before Christ, all things I was out, all things I was about, everything I was going for was to loss. It was rubbish. It was missing the point. As opposed to faith, 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That word persuade is again that word pytho. And it's again, he's put, it his faith, he's put his faith in the whom that he believes. And I love that when he says he's able to, to keep what I've committed to him. 
Well, you, see, you don't want to, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you'll keep it. You put your hands in the, in the hands of the Lord, you will keep your life. You will save it. It will become that abundant life that comes through the knowledge and the power of, of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and he, he talks about, in verse 12, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love what he talks about. That now that I've already attained, and what he's speaking of that is, you know, we're not that finished work. But he's working on that about, in verse 10, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power we can have is the resurrected life in Christ Jesus. I want to know the, the fellowship of his sufferings. We can count it all joy when we go through different trials or tribulations because we know that they make us more like Jesus when we go through them. And that's ultimately who we want to be. We want our gain, we want the pursuit of our lives to be more like him. More like him in the knowledge, more like him in, our, in the conforming of our lives unto him. And he says, not that I've already attained this or imperfected, but one thing I do... I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I think we have an opportunity this morning, guys, is I don't know what brought you here. I don't know what, where you're at in life specifically, but you've got an opportunity to move forward, to press on in Christ, to truly forget about the things that, that are of the past. We're not called to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough, of its, enough problems of itself. We're, we're here today. We're people of the day. We're children of today. And we can forget about the past. I often say for me, in, in my walk, God forgave 20 years of sin in an instant. I didn't have to do a whole bunch of things. I just came to the Lord and confessed my sin before Him. We can do that and say, God, I want you to change my life. I want to be more like you. I want to, I want to have gain in, in my life to be able to come through you, to you, Jesus. I just want to just close with that. It's just saying, press on towards the goal for the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Can we, let's, we play that video. We're going to just play a little video here, and then we're going to come up, and I just want to pray and, and close, and we'll have the worship team come up. But I just want you guys to watch this and, and uh, just let the Lord move in your heart. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake.
Guys, if, if, if God's moving in your heart this morning, I mean, walk in the newness of life today. We're going to have some prayer counselors around, and we just want to pray for you. This is what church is about. It's just not something that we come once a Sunday because maybe we're not football fans, but this is something that we know that God wants to do something. Our God is alive. Our God is raised. He's powerful, and He wants to change our lives today. He wants to, he wants to work a work in us. So God's stirring your heart. Please find someone to pray with. We'll have some prayer counselors, and don't leave without seeking God, okay? Thanks.